So when I was in 10th grade, I had an English teacher named Miss Barassas, one of my favorite teachers I've ever had in my life. She taught us English, and I remember there was one paper I wrote where it was one of those papers where it was supposed to be like eight pages, um, but truthfully, I ran out of like content at about page five. But I knew I had to get to eight pages, so what did I do? And something I was actually really, really good at is I added a bunch of fluff to make it to eight pages. Now, Ms. Barrasso is smart, and so I, I remember after the, the class, I, I handed it in, she graded it, and she says, hey, Brandon, uh, let's, let's chat after class. And so I stay after class, and we sit down, and, um, and she's like, hey, I, it, I don't buy any of this. Like, this is a bunch of fluff. And she said, Brandon, truthfully, you had like five pages of really, really good stuff and I would rather you just write five pages of really, really good stuff than try to fill eight pages with a bunch of crap. And I think sometimes that this is how we approach prayer. I don't think God is looking for eight pages of nonsense when it could have been three pages of really, really good stuff. And we're in a series right now called Thoughts and Prayers. And this is a phrase that has kind of permeated in and out of our culture when, we faced, when we've been faced with difficult tragedies or difficult circumstances. But the question is, what is prayer? We say thoughts and prayers, but what is prayer? Why do we pray? Even when God doesn't answer, why do we pray? And these are the two ideas that we've looked at in the, the previous two, two teachings in this series. But the question that we're going to navigate in this teaching is how do we pray? How do I know if I'm doing it right? Is there a wrong way? Do I need to be in church if I'm going to pray? And it's interesting, you would think that in all of the time that the disciples or, or Jesus's closest friends, in all of the time that they spent with him, they would have asked him multiple questions. They would have asked him to teach them multiple things. Like they saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus restore sight to the blind. They saw Jesus heal lame men and, and cast demons out of people. And if I were one of Jesus's followers, I'd be saying, Jesus, how do I do that? Like, teach me how to do that. Instead, what we see in Luke chapter 11 is we see the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, why out of all of the things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them is prayer, the one where they stop and say, teach us. We want to be like you. Here, here's what I believe. I believe it's because they saw that the power Jesus possessed came from his posture in prayer. The walking on the water the casting out of demons, the healing the blind and the sick, it flowed out of a life that was guided and prompted with prayer. And lucky enough for us, Jesus taught them. Jesus revealed to them, here is how you should pray. And to look at this further, I want to go to Matthew's gospel, Matthew's telling of this beautiful moment in Matthew chapter 6. So here's what's going on. Jesus is in the middle of his most famous collection of teachings ever. This is referred to as this, the Sermon on the Mount. And in these teachings, Jesus is doing one major thing. 
He is challenging the thinking and the traditions that many people had held for decades. Jesus is saying things like, blessed are the poor, blessed are those that are humble. God blesses those who are persecuted. He's taught on the Old Testament law. He's taught on anger and adultery and divorce and loving our enemies even when it's hard. And now, after seeing Jesus pray, the disciples say in Luke 11, teach us to pray. And here's Jesus' response in Luke chap- or Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. This is how Jesus responds. He says, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. And now we get to what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, or even you may know it as our Father. Verse 9, Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So what do we see first? We see that before Jesus gets into the how, he teaches them the how not when it comes to prayer. So before we get into the how, let's first look at two warnings from Jesus when we pray. And the first warning is this, be careful if your prayer is more about getting than growing. Matthew chapter six, verse five. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So what is Jesus addressing here? Well, there there were people in this culture, in this context, that would wait until temple was out. And they knew where all of the people would be walking the streets. And so what they would do is they would go to the busiest street corners. And on those street corners, they would pray loud and they would pray publicly so everybody could look at them. They would find the busiest places where there were the most people. And they would pray and say, look how holy I am. Look at how how much I love God. Because they wanted everyone to see just how holy they were. And Jesus says, they're hypocrites. Now, now this word hypocrites, it comes from the Greek word hypocrites, which means stage actor or pretender. Because in no way, these hypocrites, because in no way was their prayer about growing in their relationship with God. It was all about getting attention from others. Look at me. Look at how holy I am. Look at what I can do. Look at the prayers I offer. It reminds me of growing up. I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor and um, at youth group, when, when you know, with our st- in the student ministry, when it was time to move all of the chairs out of a certain room and into another room, 
uh, I would, you know, help move the chairs. But listen, if there were girls around, I would carry more chairs. Like if I saw a girl, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to add three or four extra chairs so that they can see how strong I am. And as soon as the girls left, I would collapse because I wanted to show off. I wanted to show them something that I really wasn't was. I was a, I was a hypocrite. And Jesus is revealing that when we pray, the goal is not to be heard by men, but rather to be heard by God. He then offers a second warning. And the second warning is this, be careful if your prayer is more about quantity than quality. Verse seven in Matthew chapter six, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. I, I hear so frequently from people, I can't pray because I don't know what to say. Can, can you pray? You pray better than me. I, I could never pray like you, but that's because you're a pastor. I actually, one time I, I had someone say to me, you, you get paid to pray. I mean, I laughed. I actually laughed out loud. You get paid to pray. And Jesus is perfectly clear in this teaching. Listen, it doesn't matter how long or how elegant your prayer is. It's about the heart. It's about the heart that is offering the prayer. In fact, this was something that was even referenced in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Now, is Jesus saying that repetitious prayers are bad? Like if I've been praying the same prayer over and over and over again for 10 years, am I doing it wrong? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, again, he's speaking to the heart condition. In fact, some translations and scholars, when, when looking at the word babble that Jesus uses, believe that that would translate to essentially blah, 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 blah. And that's what Jesus is pushing against. God, blah, 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 amen. God, blah, blah. There's no heart. It's a mindless offering. That's what Jesus is, is speaking to. Then he then, he then transitions with his disciples. He says, here are two warnings. Here are things to watch and be careful of. But now he transitions with a simple statement in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, he says, pray like this, pray like this. Jesus doesn't say this is the only way to pray. I, he, he's giving us a model to work off of, not creating the only way that we can pray moving forward. And so now that we have seen a couple warnings that Jesus offers, now let's look at how to pray according to Jesus. And he begins with what seems like a simple statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. 
Now that may sound like a simple statement, but it is far from simple because Jesus has just revealed two things to his disciples and to us. One, he just called God Father. This was, this was a radical change for the Jewish people of that day. He was making God personal. In fact, in this teaching passage, he would go on to call God Father 10 more times. So as we pray, we are to remember that we are praying to a personal God, not a God that created everything and then stepped back. This is a God, this is a Father in heaven that wants to have a relationship, that wants us to look at him as Father. But then Jesus also says, may your name be kept holy. So, so while he is a personal father in heaven, he is also holy. He is also set apart, all powerful, majestic, creator, all knowing. And so as we pray, we have to remember that God, the, the God that we are praying to, while he is our father, while he does want a personal relationship, he is also worthy of all of our praise. He is God and we are not. And what Jesus is ultimately teaching us here is that as we begin prayer, we should begin with worship. We should give him the worship that he so rightly requires from us. We should approach him with adoration because ultimately prayer is about seeking God's will instead of our own. And this leads to the next line, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think this is one of the more challenging parts for us in the Lord's prayer. Because what is Jesus saying that we do? He, he's saying, when you pray, pray not my will, not my aspirations, not my ideas, not the future that I want. Instead, I want your will to be done, God. And, and my question for you today is, are you willing to pray that? God, I want this career. I want this glory. I want this life. But at the end of the day, I'm going to set all of that aside. I'm going to say, God, what you want is more important to me. When we pray this prayer, we're offering ourselves as God's willing vessels here on earth. And Jesus is laying the groundwork for all of us in our prayer life to remember that when we choose to follow him, with his disciples, he's saying, listen, when you choose to follow me, your life is no longer your own. You're committing to saying, not my will, but your will. It's, it's like what Paul says in Galatians chapter two. He says, it's no longer I who live, but now Christ who lives in me. So as we pray, we need to take the time to be reminded, God, not my will, but your will be done. Because ultimately prayer is about seeking God's will instead of our own. And then Jesus reinforces this idea even more in verse 11. He says, give us today the food we need. When we pray, give us what we need for today. We are recognizing that God is our provider and our sustainer. 
When we pray a prayer similar to this, we are confessing and recognizing and acknowledging that what we have came from God in the first place, and we trust that he will continue to provide. And and the other thing that Jesus is revealing, I think it's so beautiful, he's revealing in all of this that we should bring our request to God on a daily basis basis. God, today I'm going into really tough meetings and I'm tired and I'm worn down. Give me strength. God, today I have a really exhausting uh, time that I'm going to spend with family. God, I ask that you would give me peace. God, today I have some really tough decisions to make, so I'm asking that you would give me wisdom and discernment. I once heard a pastor say, Jesus is also revealing that our prayers should center on our needs, not on our greeds. Because ultimately, prayer is about seeking God's will instead of our own. He then goes on in verse 12. He says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Jesus is again revealing that there should be an aspect of confession when it comes to our prayers. Not just a bunch of requests, but confession. In this, he's reminding us, listen, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned. We've been selfish. We've disobeyed God. And all of us, each and every day, make mistakes and are selfish and disobey God. We then need to confess those to our Father. And in that confession, we find forgiveness in the same way that we're forgiven by our Father. Jesus goes on to say, You need to do the same for others. Why? Because God has forgiven you of so much. Why should you not forgive others of the same? In fact, this is such an important part when it comes to Jesus' teaching on prayer. He repeats it in verses 14 and 15. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But... If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. In a sense, Jesus is preparing his disciples for something that he's going to teach in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 7, which you may know as the golden rule. Do unto others what you would want them to do to you. Confess. Forgive me. Find forgiveness and then extend forgiveness to others because ultimately prayer is about seeking God's will instead of our own. Lastly, Jesus offers one more insight into how we can pray in verse 13. He says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now listen, we all struggle with temptation. Whether you're spiritual or not, we all have things that tempt us. Maybe it's sex, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's taking shortcuts to the top, maybe it's a Boston cream donut, which is my personal temptation. And Jesus is telling those people, these people that follow him, listen, you don't have to face those temptations alone. In fact, your father in heaven wants to rescue you from those temptations. And so when you're faced with temptation, Jesus is showing us that we can pray and ask the father to give us strength to overcome the temptation that's in front of us. Again, it's reminding us that that he is God and we are not. And when we try on our own, that is when we succumb to the temptation. We fail. We choose our will. But when we ask 
for help and rescue, our Father is ready to give us what we need. Because ultimately, prayer is about seeking God's will instead of our own. So what do we learn from Jesus when it comes to how we should pray? Well, I love how Tyler Statton, who's a pastor from Portland, Oregon, he sums it up in three simple statements. He says, remember who God is, remember who you are, and remember who we are to each other. Prayer is about taking the focus off of ourselves and refocusing it back on our Father in heaven. It's not about saying the right words. It's not about talking for a certain amount of time. It's not something that can only be done in church. Prayer is less about doing and more about being. Being with our Father in heaven, sitting with Him, listening to Him, sharing our joys and our struggles, and thanking Him and asking Him. It's about cultivating a relationship. So how can you better practice this in your life today? Well, the first way is to remember that the Lord's Prayer is meant to be a model, not the only way. Right? Remember, Jesus said, pray like this. Prayer is about having a conversation with God and shifting our attention back away from what we want and redirecting it towards what God wants. And so maybe for the next week, what I'm going to challenge you to do is try to have a conversation with God once a day. Maybe it's a few words. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe it's 30 seconds. Create a rhythm. Set a timer. Do it before or after a meal. But bring him everything in your life and talk with him once a day. My next challenge when it, when it comes to how we can practice this is maybe... Real simple, choose a line from the Lord's Prayer, what we just read, and let that be your focus for the week. God, this is a really busy week, and so all week I'm just going to keep asking, give me today my daily bread. Give me the food I need for today. God, your will be done. This is going to be a week where I'm going to want to do my, my thing things my way, to pursue my will. And what I'm asking is each and every day, stop and pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or maybe the prayer that you need to pray before you pray anything else is a prayer of confession. Because you realize that you've been running from God You've been living for yourself, but today you're ready to start living for him. And the Bible says that if you confess Jesus to be Lord of your life with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he says he is, you will be saved. And you can pray that prayer right now. And if you just prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time ever today, please let us know. Reach out to us online because we'd love to help you take your next steps in your spiritual journey. Now, lastly, prayer is meant to be a conversation, and a conversation requires listening. So my last challenge is take some time this week and carve out five minutes a day to just sit and be quiet. Because prayer isn't about you doing all of the talking. Prayer is just as much 
about slowing down and listening to what God may be trying to say to you. So if you're wondering how to pray today, I'll leave you with the words of Mother Teresa. If you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. So lean into the example that Jesus provided and have a conversation with God today. Let's pray together. Dad, you are amazing. Father, you are amazing. Thank you for being who you are. And I know my tendency, it is it's to choose what I want, but help me to overcome that and do what you have asked. Father, today I, I need a little extra peace in my life and I'm asking that you would give that to me. And I'm sorry for all of the ways that I've let you down, that I've been selfish, that I've chosen myself over you, but I'm so thankful that you offer forgiveness. Father, help me to do the same with others. And when I'm faced with opportunities to be selfish and again, to choose myself, please help me to choose your will instead. In Jesus' name, amen.